This is the Saddler's Post, conversations on horses, leather trade, and the art of saddlery, with our host, Christian Love. My guest today on the Saddler's Post is designer and shoemaker Jeff Churchill, founder of Jitterbug Boy. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's nice to be here. Awesome. So, um, when I launched this podcast, the Savage Post podcast, I really, you know, was the premise of celebrating leather work and the people that are in it. It wasn't necessarily a, uh, um, you know, let's find people that are going to shamelessly self-promote their business and themselves on a podcast. I wanted, <laughs> I'm like, screw that. I want to talk to people who are like, um, yeah, this is a conscious choice. Like I, I do whether it's it's uh, saddles or or boot making shoe designing by choice because uh i wouldn't be doing anything else so so tell me about jeff uh god what about me um i started in shoes completely by chance about 25 years ago uh i've always worked in in the arts i uh, have been working in theater since i was a kid and worked as a designer for a little while which wasn't the most successful career and then completely by chance uh landed in shoes i was uh kind of doing a reset on life i was working out on a farm in the middle of nowhere and uh got a call from a woman that i had worked with who was setting up a costume shop in toronto to do uh costumes for the lion king so this would have been God, back 98, I think that was. And uh, they couldn't find a shoe person. But at that point, because I did a lot of uh, set and costume design type of stuff, I also did a lot of the practical costumes, prop making, that sort of thing. And we'd worked together previously, and she knew I had a handle on costumes as well as on the more structural elements like props. So she brought me in to oversee the shoe department. There was an actual shoemaker that we brought in a day a week for that production. And then, you know, I, I, I'll i be honest, I only took the job because I was absolutely dirt poor and needed something to do. So uh, I took it, it was like a six month contract or something. And, you know, much to my surprise, I really enjoyed the process of shoemaking or of shoes and eventually shoemaking. And uh, I ended up being pretty good at it. So I kind of, I stuck with it. I ended up moving to a couple of different theaters over the next few years, working in their shoe departments, learning everything that I could. And then just went off on this weird trajectory where I ended up, uh, you know, touring the world with Cirque du Soleil for a couple of years, taking a break from shoes, and then deciding it was time to start uh, back into the creative side, start building things again. So my intention was to move back to Toronto, start making shoes full time. And then out of nowhere, got a call from a company in Belgium, a production company uh, that were doing a show in Las Vegas. They needed a shoe person. They offered me the work. So I left Cirque in Tokyo, went to La Lupierre, Belgium and lived there for quite a while and then moved down to Vegas for six months. And that was kind of the trial by fire of really getting into creative shoe production. Everything I'd done up till that point had been more, you know, straightforward theatrical Stratford Festival type of stuff. 
and then suddenly I was in this weird creative world and uh, and then you know by the time that ended so we're talking what 2005 I'd been living out of a suitcase for a number of years at that point uh, just wanted somewhere where I could have a spice rack and a garden and so I moved uh, back to Toronto and started the business and 18 years later, I'm still here. <laughs> That's awesome. So, you know, that is like mind boggling. You know, so many people would probably just be like, that's so cool. But I'm what I'm pulling out, you know, when you say like, because very much designers and the people who are getting their hands dirty and actually creating their designs, that's a that's a different skill set and it's uh you know it's a you know what do they say the acting you know singing uh, dancing and uh acting it's the triple threat like you know it's it's it is uh it's hard to pull it off but you you feel like oh no i needed my hands on to get those creations out yeah i've i've always been a hands on person i've always been a maker above and beyond anything else and like what i say as far as shoes go any of the design work is you know spelt with a small d it's i'm working with actual costume designers who come up with the concepts because all all the work i do is in the creative industry it's film tv theater circus dance uh mostly film and tv these days so i'm working within a structure that uh where there are designers who are establishing what needs to be done and uh yeah and so while i do some design work it's more developmental design rather than actual like concept yeah. creation stuff so so yeah i'm much more a maker and a kind of engineer on that side and developer of other people's ideas than i am necessarily creating anything of my own aesthetic yeah. if that makes sense that's yeah i totally get it so part of you know the journey i'm on and why i'm reaching out to certain people is figuring out you know the the you know the purpose you know when you say no no, no i'm foremost a maker I, I my heart just swelled a little bit here <laughs> i'm like yes okay because um I, I get the feeling that you know you that creative outlet is part of what's nurturing you if i can say yeah that. no absolutely it's it is the you know the whole idea that at the end of the day you've created something that doesn't exist in the world and would not come to fruition were it not for you like that's 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 what drives me it's not the big you know name films it's not the this or the that it's just the act of creating something unique and something that yeah, that literally nobody else on the planet could do in the exact same way. And that is, yeah, that's why I, I will always say I'm a maker above and beyond anything. I love the technical challenges. I love when designers bring something that should be impossible to me, to, to me and to us as a shop, because I do, yeah, I should interject. I've got a whole team of people behind me. It's not by any stretch of the imagination, just me. I've got, uh, 
a really strong bunch of craftspeople who have been backing me for years and who have really helped me make this business into what it is. And uh, that's, yeah. To me, that's even more incredible because I, I know uh, just personally, I can do enough to keep me busy. Like I, I can play a one string instrument, you know, right. <laughs> as soon as you, <laughs> you know, it's, it's really special. I think to be creative. I mean, we, I mean, we, you probably could name a dozen artists right now that are brilliant, talented, and probably are struggling to put food on the table. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, um, so it's very, very uh, cool to me that someone can say, no, 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 I feed my um, soul with this, but I also, you know, I'm an employer and we are making a filmmaker's aesthetic dream come true. <laughs> like it's no small task, right? Yeah. I just find that incredible. Um like, are you a graduate from, say, a fancy art school or, you know, what's... I, I went to university. I don't think I actually ended up graduating in the end. I tried for a while and I don't think I ever got the final credits. Uh, but no, I'm a, I am a, um, like, I'm a tactile learner. I've never gone, I've never studied shoemaking. It's just all stuff that I've picked up from doing and working with some people, seeing how they do it, and then uh, molding that process into something that makes more sense to me. So I'm not a traditionalist by any stretch of the imagination. As a result, my terminology is totally shit because I never actually learned any of it. I just, other than by doing. So yeah, I've, I've, I went to school for set and costume design, but you know that was a career that died 25 years ago for me. And as far as shoemaking goes, it's just been pretty much self-taught, just figuring it out and kind of going with it and taking things apart physically and in my head and putting them back together. Yeah. And I think in a lot of ways, especially working in film and kind of that area, it's been a real asset because I'm not, if, if somebody comes to me with a crazy, you know, then you need to make a hoof boot for some alien creature. I don't try and filter that through, okay, if this was a traditional pair of shoes, I would do it this way. So instead I'm going to do it this way. It's just like, no, this is, this is the problem that needs a solution. I'm going to figure out what the solution is. So, so yeah, I don't know if that makes sense at all, but I, I, I feel it's a bit of an asset by approaching yeah. shoes from a very unconventional way and from a very non-traditional way so so yeah i i uh i know i piss off a lot of traditional shoemakers because i don't follow the pro the proper processes and proper step-by-step -step or etiquette or whatever but that's just not who i've yeah. been like i've been making stuff with my hands since i was a kid and I've always learned a lot more just from doing stuff than sitting in a classroom or sitting with a book and all of that. It's just not how, uh, it's not how my brain works. And, yeah. you know, as a result, it's, you know, made a niche that has been really good for me that I've been able to fill and I've been able to bring 
a lot of people along for the ride. Like when, when I first started the business in 2005, it was a business of one. And I only the only reason I started the business be, is because there wasn't a job here in Toronto. I want to be back in Toronto. It was always my home. I was seeing somebody then who I've since married. And it was, yeah, I just wanted to be back here, but there wasn't any work for me. So I started the business and was able to create it. And then suddenly I was able to bring in a couple of more people and it just kind of grew and grew. And like there, there is no good reason for a business such as Jitterbug Boy to exist in Toronto. The market isn't there. And yet I'm keeping, you know, 12 people or more employed year round doing this because we've been as a team been able to, um, carve out this niche for us and do a certain quality of work that's got recognized the world over. And as a result, these shows come to Toronto, but there's, there's no reason a business like this should be able to survive in Toronto. Yeah, that's just incredible. You know, part of when you're explaining about how, you know, the traditionalists and stuff and, um, you know, kind of why I, wanted to start this was uh, um, you know the the 15 year old me that was sitting in a school where he didn't belong <laughs> failing and being told you know you know reading the report cards needs to apply himself and you're like I do you think I want a 50% average do you think I want to fail do you think I want to repeat this class <laughs> like this is not me not trying this is me not being able to learn the way you're presenting it. I mean, you know, the older me is like, maybe you're failing as a teacher. <laughs> not, I'm not failing as a student. And I'm thinking, you know, where was that mentor? Where was that person that said, just work with your hands. <laughs> you can figure it out and you can evolve and you can develop and and the business will come. And it's a little bit uh, your story, right? Like you just kind of have taken something i mean i assume theater was something you'd be passionate about and then you married that with your ability and your joy of creating for sure and like i look at where where i am where we are at as a business and some days i just look back and laugh about it because it's like you know what i'm a pretty shit business person i you know I'm reasonably intelligent, but I'm not that bright. I didn't do, I did all right in school if it was something that interested me and didn't if it didn't. So it's like, you know, I'm not the, you know, I've never been the most together person. I've never been that person that is, you know, most likely to succeed or whatever, but I've found something that works for me and I've been able to develop it into something that is a thousand times bigger than I ever thought would be possible so that's pretty cool that is awesome uh just uh one note we need an introduction to the cat oh sorry yeah you i was gonna ask if you could hear yes i have two sphinxes who are hairless cats who uh were both curled up by the heat vent because i'm in the office right now and one of them who is usually completely quiet has been all over me meowing her head off so that's kaya She's like a 20-year-old sphinx, and then Queenie has also been by, but she's curled up by the heat right now. 
and <laughs> yeah, sense. and mercifully, my wife is distracting the dog because otherwise, Mapleton would be all over me right now because I'm talking, and <laughs> she would think that was her cue. I, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, my my kids and animals ignore me until I'm on the phone. <laughs> of course. <laughs> then, yeah. So then, I guess just building the reputation. I mean, I think uh, people that work in film there's a lot of crossover because let's say you're working on uh, whatever film and it might not even be a blockbuster. It'll be something for, you know, that, that, that might not be seen outside of a film festival, but then that person then goes on and kind of swaps to, Oh yeah, we're filming in here for six months and then they move to a different project, but the, the, the blending and crossover. So I imagine, is that how the business got built? That yeah. People were yeah, very, yeah. very much. So, um, the film world is very large, but also really small, especially on the costume side. Like, uh, I only started because I was pretty much exclusively doing circus and live performance theater stuff. Uh, from when I started in 2005 to 2012, and then in 2012, we used to do a lot of work in, in England, in London, in the West End. And then the 2008 recession hit, all that stuff dried up. I, about 2011, 2012, things were really starting to pick up over there. So I decided, you know what, I'm just going to take two weeks and I'm going to just knock on all the doors again in London and just see if I can drum up some of that work again, because I always really enjoyed it. I always loved London. So I went over there for two weeks and met all the people I used to work with. And it was all the same story from them saying, yeah, theater is back. The shows are back. The budgets are not. And of course, the first thing that always gets cut from a budget is the shoes, uh, which is ridiculous to me. But I'm also pretty biased on that. <laughs> of course. But, uh, so, but fortunately, in those two weeks, I started uh, meeting up with some film designers and getting on with them. And I think I started with like two meetings over two weeks with a couple of different film designers. And then by the end of the two weeks, I probably had 24 or 25 meetings because word got around that, oh, there's this shoemaker in town, you should meet him. And that's how the film world works. So every single film project that I've got pretty much in my career has come out of that two week stint in London. And it works exactly like you say, you know, I work with, I work, I think I got three contracts out of that show, uh, that show, that trip. And, you know, six months later, they all move on to the, the next project and they all move in different directions. So suddenly the name is getting out there and then again and again. So it really is a bit of a spider web. And I, I got in first with the London scene, which included some American and European designers passing through London working. And then it's just kind of grown and grown since then. People go on to the next project. And then that was how the reputation first started getting built in, in the film world. And then obviously I've kind of succeeded beyond that. And people just know Jitterbug Boy because of our work and come because of that. But that's where it all stemmed from like 11 years ago. And, you know, which is really like, like I said, film scene, costuming in film is quite large, but also really small, which means two things. If you're really good and people like you, word gets out really quick also if you fuck up that word gets 
out really quick as well. So your reputation gets built or broken really, really quickly. So I'm incredibly fortunate. I decided, you know, well, no, I didn't decide. Uh, yeah, it was sort of a decision, but mostly I didn't feel I wanted to get into the film scene till I felt my abilities were good enough to do it. And it probably ended up about two years earlier than that. When I first got in, I wasn't entirely sure, but I was able to uh, push myself to raise to the occasion, I guess you could say. And, but I'm glad I waited as long as I did in that I had a great team. I had the confidence and it was still a huge, huge gamble, but it worked out for me. And I feel if I had done it maybe two years earlier, probably the opposite would have happened. I wouldn't have been good enough. I would have done work that wasn't up to the quality that it needed to be. And I would have got a bad reputation as quickly as I was able to get a good reputation. So it, it really is um, a, bit of, well, a lot of luck, a bit of smarts and just, you know, not... Uh, how would you put it? Like keeping the 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 priorities straight, I, and it's grown beautifully. And I, I, even all the way along, I never imagined working on you know big blockbuster films or these working with these you know A list actors. That was never the point. That, those are all um, uh, happens happenstance in in the big picture. What I wanted to do was just make interesting creative things with interesting creative designers and teams and then it's led into this this thing this thing that's so much um so much beyond what i ever thought of was possible but i feel that the success came from from that path from some you know being confident in, 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 being confident but not arrogant would be the best way I could put it. Like, yeah. I was confident in my abilities. I wasn't arrogant that I wanted to be the guy making the shoes for the big shows because that is just a recipe for disaster and failure. And I'm, it's been a very, uh, you know, winding path. But it's, I like where it's gone. It's gone places yeah. that I never imagined. That's beautiful. Yeah, you see that on the saddle side of things where people, obviously, each industry, each sport has its stars, mm -hmm. right? Like, um, and, and, and they have a lineup of people wanting, oh, let me make this for you. Right. And it's, it's like their, their sole purpose for existing is to say at some dinner party, oh, I make saddles for so and so, or I make for this producer, uh, or, I measured this actor and it's a little bit like, nah, you know, the people that know, know, right. And the confidence yeah. is just like, this is, this is what allows me to do my, my art, my craft. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. And it's yeah. totally coincidence that it's for these big shows and, you know, and I, you know, I'm certainly not one to hold back uh if we've done something i do share it after the fact after the film is opened it'll be like hey look what we did this is amazing yeah but it's not well, and it... prior to that because if in some ways i feel like again it's arrogant to say oh i'm doing shoes for this person and also you know it's it's a good way to curse yourself and make sure those shoes aren't gonna fucking work if you just say yeah i'm doing this i'm doing this it's like 
Yeah, but what if they don't work? Yeah. What if they don't use them? Then you end up looking like the asshole, which I try to avoid. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And, that you know, I think societally we need to um, find that fine line between sharing your successes and um, because it's genuinely, this is what this podcast is about. I want that message sent out. You know, it's not arrogant it's it's um you know this is what we've created and it's um it's not attention seeking it's just this is um the beautiful byproducts of me following my passion yeah exactly it's it's yeah. all about what what you've been able to bring into the world what you've been able to create and it's not like yeah. the 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 reason for it is whatever it's just yeah it's a passion yeah. it's a passion for making so and is is where does leather factor in for you? Is it like the if the remit is oh these have to be made out of leather or it's your is is leather important to you? Yeah, you know we we work in all sorts of materials from leathers to you know vegan leather substitutes to neoprenes to fabrics to everything. The majority of stuff is is in leather because. Uh, Leather has character, and when you're making things for for a fictional character, for somebody being presented, it's not like you know, it's not like I'm making fashion shoes that want to look brand new coming out of the box the first time you open it. Things need to have a character already, uh, and leather has so much character. It's a, quite a versatile material to use, but I also like. And again, a lot of that is just from working with it for so long, but I know what certain leathers are going to end up looking like in the end, and that's kind of the the look, because nobody... The thing about film is nobody wants to look like they're wearing something brand new, right? They want to look I like never... they're wearing what they're wearing in that moment in time, and chances are yeah. they didn't just take it out of a box. So you... Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. leather is great for that in that, uh, yeah, it adds a lot of character. It's also quite a versatile material. There is a range available in leathers that aren't available in other materials. Like we will still, we do a lot of work with vegan actors, and I'm more than happy to abide by that. And we'll search out vegan alternatives and things like that. I'm happy to, because that's, that's what they want. That's what they're comfortable in. That's my job is to make these people comfortable, these actors comfortable, both physical and whatever, emotional or whatever. It's like, yeah, their shoes have to be really yeah. comfortable because they're going to be wearing them for 14 hours a day every day. But also if they want something specific, like a pair of vegan shoes, because that's their beliefs, of course I'm going to follow through with that and do that because that's going to make them comfortable. That's going to make them happy. If the actor is happy, the designer's life is happier. So yeah, I will, yeah. I will always, always take into consideration the person who is going to wear these and what they are going to require as well. That's wonderful. I think when I look at all your work, then people can search you out on at jitterbug. J jitterbug um, boy. Yes. The jitterbug boy. Sorry. Um, it's the the range like how do you go from 
you know, you might be working on something that requires a, a Western theme to a punk rocker to high heels to Victorian era. Like most people work in a in a style, right? right. Like they have a, you know, like like a, a famous artist. I don't know, a Picasso <laughs> or a Rembrandt. It's a style. You work in that style, right? Yeah. And you, you're just like. Yeah. You know, for all over. How do you do it? I I think it's just part of the nature. I need to be versatile because every project is going to be different. And it's also kind of like what I was describing before, because I'm not traditionally trained, I don't have a, a set approach or a right way or wrong way of doing everything. So I approach every project in the same way. It's like, okay, what is necessary? You know, who's wearing this? What do they need to look like? And um, what do they need to do? So those are the kind of the three important things. You know, the actor is a person wearing it. The designer is uh, deciding what the aesthetic is that needs to be achieved. And then the third will be a director or fight choreographer, stunt coordinator or whoever deciding what needs to be done in them. And then it's my job, no matter what, um, what, ever form it takes it still has to provide the same function so whether it's a four inch pair of heels or you know a pair of marvel superhero boots the same basic necessities are there they need to be comfortable they need to be functional they need to look a certain way and so every project i just approach from the ground up like obviously there is different structural elements that go into a four inch heel than do into a running shoe but they they're different but they all need same steps same structure and it's just figuring out what exactly that is and you know we in my shop we've developed so many different ways of doing things that we don't make uh high heels in a traditional manner at all we make them in much more solid way in unconventional materials because i've tried them and they work and uh, so yeah, pretty much everything starts with a drawing and a set of measurements, and then you, I'm able to kind of flush out what's needed from there. Like, okay, it's a heel. Okay, we need, you know, a lot more support through the heel and through the shank area, blah blah blah, all the boring stuff. But at the same time, what do they do? What are they going to do in them? How can I make them the most comfortable and yeah, so yeah. whatever the final uh, form is, it's all, you know, pretty much the same process if you take it right down to the basics. It's it's just taking a different form. And fortunately, I got, like I've said a couple of times, an amazing bunch of craftspeople. So, you know, if somebody, if I got to have somebody, you know, developing a new heel shape that's never existed, I know Anson can do that with his eyes closed and uh likewise if we need to play around and find uh a better way of soling things because this guy's in period boots but also has to do point in them we've you know went through and developed a bunch of things tried a bunch of things out until we found the right combination of materials but again none of it is traditional this is all just stuff that i've picked up you know the the most valuable experience I ever had in my life was being a props person because props people are all about just taking whatever shit they've got 
around within arm's reach and making it into something else. And that's kind of what I've done with shoes. I, I understand the necessity of each of the various aspects of the shoe, but there are ways to improve upon it. Either to make the process faster because we're always under brutal timelines or just to make them more comfortable or make them stronger or make them whatever lighter weight stunt worthy just whatever is necessary yeah. so yeah i'm assuming too that um at some point you'd have to make an exact replica for a stunt person yeah all the time like usually like that... it depends on the shows for smaller shows uh you know, right now we're doing a Victorian TV show in the UK and we're doing pretty much one for the actor and then one for, the, uh, yeah, a replica for their stunt. On some of the bigger, you know, when, if you think superhero or like Mission Impossible or something like that, we would make dozens of shoes that look the same either for different stunt people or for the same person who needs to do multiple things in the same look. So you... You can get, because film is so kind of micro-focused, we're able to do things like, um, you know, this guy's got to run down a wet street and then climb up a wall and then jump off onto a moving helicopter or something. It's like we can really make three pairs of shoes, one that is going to be the best for each sequence. And then he can just change the shoes for each because these ones are specifically made to climb where the other ones are specifically made to run. So, you know, on some films, we'll make, you know, a dozen identical pairs of shoes, all with a different purpose, either for actor, stunt person. Uh, we're just doing reshoots for a film that we were working on last year, and it's, you know, big, big action-y superhero-y thing. And I think there was the main actor, I'm pretty sure he had four stunt guys, and then a photo double oh, wow. as well. And then they're doing reshoots with two different stunt guys right now. So, like, we'll have done six variations for stunt plus the actor. So we've probably made the same boot 30, 35 times for, over that process. I'm, um, I'm amazed because I know <laughs> when people have approached me and said, can you make me something? I'm like, yeah, we can work that out. It's a one of one. Mm -hmm. It's when they come back 18 months later. I love it so much. Can you make one for my friend? And you're like, no, it was one of one. <laughs> and you were like, oh, yeah, no, we can do, you know, like all of that, plus have them perform in unique situations and have continuity on film. Yeah, my, my <laughs> like crew is really, every, every... really, really good at keeping notes. And we keep Bibles. They're called Bibles of everything, which just goes yeah. through all the materials that go into any project, what variations are done for the stunt, if something's got to change. And I probably have hundreds of thousands of photos of every single thing we've made in 18 years on the computer. And so we can trace through and go, okay, this is it. And yeah, because often like a year later, the lasts aren't even in the same shape they were. So you have to rebuild the lasts. So I try and keep notes for everything if I can. Uh, because, of course, everything is custom made to the foot that's wearing it. So often it'll be like, okay, we haven't used, the, you know, this film stopped filming six months ago. So we'll just tear any of the specific buildups for this actor off the last because we don't need him anymore. And then 
another six months later it's like oh by the way it's like oh shit okay yeah <laughs> we're doing a sequel oh no yeah i would imagine uh, uh like the period pieces must be a ton of fun but also just the amount of research you must have to do because you know there's some historian phd watching <laughs> yeah. whatever movie going yeah fortunately they wouldn't fortunately, have a lot of the researchy period. stuff comes from the design team which always helps but i will also supplement yeah. it with you know my own knowledge and my own research and yeah. but the other thing is especially when you get into historical stuff you're you always have to um what's the word reinterpret for the modern foot really and for the modern and what's acceptable like if i made something traditionally like it was made in the 16th century somebody in the 21st century would not wear it they would put it on and go god these are so uncomfortable these are so this and that yeah and yeah so it's interpreting that into something that's going to work on on a modern foot and yeah so it's it's interesting it always has its challenges trying to keep something looking as uh historically accurate as possible but also you know one of the other things that i said is really important is function and an actor isn't going to be able to function in something that's not comfortable if something is made in the traditional ways of you know centuries gone by they're not going to find that comfortable the last thing you want is an actor thinking about their feet you just want them to put on the boots shoes whatever and say yeah oh these are great okay let's do and not actually have you you don't want to be uh you don't want your work to be a distraction because the actor has a million other things they need to be spending their brain cells on so the last thing you want is for them to be thinking about their shoes (laughs) yeah and by extension you exactly exactly. Uh, yeah and uh, it's funny that shoes um are so important like i i just know um you know a friend of mine and myself through high school we were the only ones wearing like traditional leather-soled brogues to school with our jeans and our t-shirt and it was just like (laughs) that's our look but it was like also gave you uh you know you weren't at the mall buying whatever running shoe that was hot at the moment or whatever but it was like a and and um it was interesting just appreciating that leather and you know the skill that went into it and everything but also that they were indestructible almost. <laughs> <laughs> like you know it's like it's a crafted product right yeah. but um and i also imagine that like that shoe like it, if if a movie becomes iconic or a huge success um you know the costumes the the sets everything they kind of get um kept forever right yeah yeah often they do depends on the shows but yeah often especially if it's something that's like a big franchisey type of thing like fantastic beasts or something like that or a marvel show they just hang on to everything at the end of it and because they don't know when they're going to need it again <laughs> really so yeah well and just even for promotional purposes or yeah. Even, um, I mean, look at who ever thought that, you know, the time between um, 
one movie and the next movie being made. Um, I'm drawing a blank on the name. The Tom Cruise oh, movie. Oh, Top Gun. Um, yeah, it was like 36 Top Gun. years like, or something. Like yeah. 36 years. I mean, imagine yeah. <laughs> that. I mean, and how many people even were still working in the props um, for continuity and all that stuff. So it would have been a big thing yeah. i guess yeah for sure. uh, what part of the tangent i'm on is like you know when people craft something they always think oh this is something that's going to be handed down or go you know you know i mean sometimes you create things and they never see the light of day mm -hmm. or you know saddles are a little bit consumable i mean when people are done with them they're pretty trashed <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, they get for sure they get worn hard. So do you ever think about like legacy or is that too much a little bit like an arrogant thing for you? Yeah, I don't, I honestly don't think much of legacy. Like, uh, yeah, I think I mentioned to you that I'm actually closing down the business at the end of this year, just because it's 18 years and I'm tired of running a business and I just want to go back to the grassroots making creative side of stuff. And I can't do that if I'm, running a business and keeping, you know, a dozen, a dozen and a half people employed all the time. And yep. it's made me reflect a lot on legacy and, and cause people are always asking, Oh, it's one of your crew going to keep it going. It's like, yeah, no, what? No, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. I like this business has been something that I've built in my way. And it's been a lot of blood and a lot of sweat and a lot and a lot of tears and it's a really difficult life and i would not wish this upon somebody i hate let alone my crew who i love and yeah. i do i and it's also me like i i wouldn't expect you know anyone in my crew to be able to step in and make the shop their own any more than they could step in and wear the clothes that i'm wearing right now and find them comfortable it's like you know everyone's an individual I wouldn't be yeah. here without my absolutely amazing crew. I look forward to what they all do next with the, the skills and the knowledge they've acquired working together and working in my shop. And I, that's what I think is going to be the legacy of Jitterbug Boy when it all comes to an end this year. It's not somebody becoming the next me. It's somebody being inspired by what we do and doing their own thing with it. Like that's, that's, you know, that's as much as I give a shit about legacy. Cause, and that's why the, you know, that's why the workshop is called, or the company is called Jitterbug Boy and not Jeff Churchill Shoes. Cause it's never been about me. It's never been about that. It's been about the creations that we do as a team. And when we're yeah. no longer a team, the only legacy I really care about is what everyone does next and to be able to see what they're doing and uh yeah and i i had a conversation with one of my crew very recently about that uh, about and and what they are thinking of doing it really excites me and it's nothing like what we do now but they've got their passions and they want to take what they've done with me for the past seven years and you know molded into their own thing and that you know that thrills me that's i i i'm not a teacher i'm not an instructor if i can inspire 
anybody, somebody in my crew, even somebody listening to this going, you know what? <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm not the most together guy. I'm not the smartest guy, but I was able to make this a success because I followed a passion. If somebody's listening to this and thinks, oh, maybe I should give it a try. You know, that's the type of legacy that I care about. I could give a shit about, about jitterbump yeah. where it can, you know, it can sink down to the bottom once it's done. I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I love that. I think that's, that is the premise of this, the point, you know, having these conversations and broadcasting them out to the world that somebody, I think people, uh, you know, it, it, about two years ago, I started kind of, well, maybe three years ago, you kind of, we all have this creeps into our life a little bit of, um, um, we're just looking inward all the time. And I, and, and thinking about, I don't know, I was very much feeling a little bit sorry for myself, but I also was like, okay, I need to, you know, <laughs> re-evolve here. And, <laughs> and, and it's a, it's a sign I need to, to be better the better version of myself and and just reaching out to people I hadn't connected with in a long time. And you realize that how much, um, I don't know, pain and suffering, like a, a load of people are like, you know, that retirement date circled on their calendar <laughs> and they're just existing. And I'm thinking, Oh, that sounds horrible. I've just been following my passion all my life. And, you know, I may not be happy with where I am right now, but I'm not afraid to just, I mean, I sure as hell I'm not worried about losing a pension. <laughs> so <laughs> we can take that off the table and just go, hey, yeah, okay, well, what's what's next? So uh, I think that's, you know, the idea that th th I meet so few people that are happy for the success of others, like especially someone who works for them. I just, just doesn't exist very uh, widely, widely. They, you know... I used to consume all these books on self-help, I guess it was called, you know, and, you know, they always say like a good manager is one that encourages people to, to grow and be the next boss or manager or succeed. And it's like, yeah, but in the reality, how many people nurture and mentor people? It just is the real world. I don't find it very happen happens very much. And I find in the creative side, mm that it does tend to because you know there is only one you yeah right like no one can emulate and i think that's the right answer you can't just say oh yeah my uh you know my top person in the shop uh they're taking over jitterbug boy um yeah. and it and all the crew that you've been working with the companies the the set designers the every the the people will, they won't even notice me gone. <laughs> that doesn't happen. It won't work, right? No, exactly. Because we're it, not making this, yeah. you know, we're not just making a factory line of something that people can learn. It's, it's, we're constantly adapting and it's so much about the people in the room and this and that. And yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's very yeah. individual. It's like, you know, Jitterbug Boy is my thumbprint, but again, it wouldn't have happened without this amazing, uh, talented 
group of people that have been there to support me and and i would be lying if i said i made their life easy i can be a right asshole some days because we're under the gun all the time and i'm pushing and pushing and pushing but i also you know i love them to death there's nothing i wouldn't do for these guys because they've been there for me throughout it all and that's one that's the only regret i have about closing down the business at the end of this year is you know uh breaking up the team breaking up the crew but i'm also really excited to see what they where they all end up afterwards yeah well that's a little bit um kicking the bird out of the nest in a sense that you know um they will discover out of necessity Mm -hmm. (laughs) like they're probably not gonna run off to a shoe repair shop at the mall right they're they're probably going to seek out or or start to go you know what this is a sign i that that dream i had of creating x has to be moved forward now to now yeah Yeah, exactly and And, fortunately i've been able to give everyone like whatever it's been nine months notice so there's plenty of time to start thinking about it and nobody's got to panic about being out of work right away it's like okay we got some time. Yeah, we all got some. I don't know what I'm doing next. I genuinely have no idea at this point. I have. Well, that was going to be my question. It was like, okay, what are you sitting on? But it, it, you, I love the fact that you're like, no, I know what, I know for sure what's happening is Jitterbug Boy will be um, closed yeah, or. Will be no longer. Yeah. Yeah. But no, no I don't. I've got, <laughs> I've got some ideas of where I want to take it for sure. And, but I'm also. You know, I'm open to see where things go. Like the, the not meaning to sound like an egotistical dick or anything, but as far as the film business goes, everybody around the world knows me and knows my company. And as a result, I feel that's going to afford me some hopefully interesting directions or adventures or whatever I can go on. It's a it's yeah. a huge risk, but I also know that the only way to take the next step is to dissolve the company that I've worked so hard at because it's you know I'm already doing five jobs for Jitterbug Boy. I can't also spend the time trying to figure out what's next. It's like no, I got to close the one chapter to see what sort of opportunities present itself and to see how. I can find a more fulfilling job creatively to to get back to doing what I really enjoy because running a business is not at all it. So so yeah, and so I also have this unfortunate thing where I kind of thrive on chaos, which is why I'm in film, which is why I'm doing all this anyway. So I feel like throwing my life into a bit of chaos is not going to kill me. It's probably going to lead to something quite you know, it's it, I'm taking a gamble, and I don't often take gambles that I don't feel I can win at. So I think this is one of those. Everything's going to change, but we'll see what happens. I love it. I think that's the any artist. I mean, how do you identify? Do you do you feel like an artist? Do you feel um, like what do you? I. I what do you call yourself? Yeah, I don't know. I usually call myself a craftsperson because I think that's kind of accurate artisan maybe. But yeah, I don't know. I, yeah. I don't 
think I've ever had to classify myself. So <laughs> <laughs> I always think of the, you know, since I started following you on social media, and it's the side that when everyone says or, or kind of is like, oh man, I can only dream of your success. And you're like, I know just the sheer volume of flying that you do <laughs> and have to do that, you know, the amount of crap food, um, <laughs> the, the sitting on a plane and someone's like, no, what do you do? And you, you have to be like, just say dog walker yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or something. Cause I don't want to have a 30 minute conversation <laughs> explaining. Yes, it's a real job. And yes, this is how I put food on my table. <laughs> and you know, it, it really does get, it, again, part of doing the podcast is like to encourage more people to get into it or to see it. Uh, um, you know, that hopefully, hey, someone driving in their car an hour and a half commute to their downtown office is listening to this and going, yeah, I certainly don't wish this for my child. Maybe they should run off to Stratford Festival and apprentice with a uh, costumer, right? Yeah, like, you, know, it's, you know, it's certainly not an easy life. It's certainly not a lucrative life, but I do feel it's, you know, fulfilling. You know, I find it, you know, there's... My life is one big fucking irony a lot of the days because it's like I've established myself as one of the biggest shoemakers around for the film industry anyway, certain in ignoring fashion. And, you know, I still sleep in a basement apartment that I rent in Parkdale. And, you know, I don't have any of the complexities of life, like having to worry about owning a house or a car or ever retiring because... You know, that's not the realities of what I've said. That's not the reality of following what your passion. It's and yep. that's why I'm a shitty business person as well because I care more about the the craft and the doing than about making money, which is you know why I'm 48 years old and I'm still really poor. But I also get to fly business class, which just makes me laugh because I'm not the <laughs> I, I I always. Almost always when I'm in line, have that tap on the shoulder of, excuse me, I think you might be in the wrong line. It's like, actually, I'm not. I just shouldn't belong here. But here I am. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But that is the, that's why I was kind of like, well, how do you classify yourself? Because I mean, to be, to, and I'm, I'm right there with you. Like I could, you know, in my industry, I feel like I've worked very hard reputation was important to me i like fixated on having a good reputation right. that it means a lot to me and it's not yeah okay fine it's a fragile ego but it's more um no one's getting rich in my business <laughs> not 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 ethically anyway <laughs> so i was kind of like you know what i think it brings me a lot of thrill it's 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 just exciting for me to be like yeah i've worked with some of the top people in, in the industry, use my products or have had my help or whatever. And, and yeah, uh, retirement is not, I just have my head in the sand <laughs> on that, but I also feel like I can continue to do what I do and will want to till I physically can't anyway. So I, I don't have any dates circled where I'm like, yeah, I can't wait till I down tools and um, don't have to do this. But the, it is the business part. Like I, I really struggle with that, and I'm 
it it is frustrating that like you you probably to be employed doing you had to create it yeah you had to create your job so self-employment entrepreneurship was you know kind of forced on you yeah right i mean and it's a it is um the t- it's it's a confusing tough thing because you think if to in order who's gonna pay me you know i don't know six figures <laughs> and do to, to to just play and create and use my imagination all day long those yeah. those jobs don't really come along right no exactly you kind of got a fortune yeah. yourself and and yeah and to varying degrees and you know like we were talking about earlier that comes along with so many different types of responsibilities and having to wear so many hats that it's always like okay <laughs> what hat am i wearing this morning okay i'll change it in 30 minutes so i can actually be creative but today i need to worry about not only getting all this shit out the door on Friday, but what are we going to do in three weeks? Because this, you know, these five gigs we're doing right now are all going to finish in the next three weeks. I need to start yeah. lining up the next thing. I need to start doing this. I need to start reaching out. And yeah, yeah. it just gets it gets exhausting. And, but it's you know, and you've it, 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 yeah. even though you know, uh, as as somebody who's been pretty poor their entire life, I don't think about it too much as far as a financial thing and that's not necessarily a good thing but that's who i am as a person so yeah so i've been able to do something where i've been able to follow my passion it hasn't been lucrative i feel i nothing would make me happier than to be able to pay my entire crew twice of what they make right now myself included but that's not the reality of the world in which we live so i you know, pay everyone as much yeah. as I possibly can. And, uh, yeah, but ideally, ideally there would be greater respect for the handcrafted things. I've, I, working in film, do not get me wrong at all, there is 10 times the respect for the craft than there is in any other business and or any other walk of life or whatever, but it's still not enough. Like, for the amount of time and effort and blood literal blood we put into projects it's yeah. never going to be enough but we try and make it work as best we can and fortunately yeah. again i'm going to sing my praises for my crew again because over the 18 years i've really had people of a similar mindset gravitate towards me and vice versa so we end up with a room full of you know really kind of crazy people who are all really good at what they do and are all driven by the fact that we're all makers that we're all bringing something into existence and the fact that we can do that as a team is really cool but uh but yeah it's you know it's it's a misfit band of shoemakers is how i describe us because we are none of us plan to get into shoes we're all here now and we're all making stuff and i feel you know, financially, they all deserve better, but everyone's sticking around. So it must balance yeah. enough between what they're able to get from, again, the passion of making. Hopefully yeah. offsets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just unfortunate, right, that we, we all need money to live yeah. because it's, you know, uh, 
if you could eliminate it as a thing that's always hanging over you. And even when I try to just put that to the side, I mean, someone's harassing you for like a quarterly tax remit <laughs> or, uh, you know, and you're like, oh, yeah, thanks for throwing that cold water in my face. <laughs> I was almost daydreaming that I, you know, can just create and play all day long. And um, it's, uh, you know, you get snapped back to reality, you're forced into Yeah, it. oh, shit, um, I have to pay rent this month, right? Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah oh, I need to exactly. eat. Exactly. Yeah. But just being surrounded by... Um, people that are passionate even if it's about anything like even if they're even if they're passionate people who are just you know you like every horse person knows why they're going to their day job right it's to pay for that and it's everyone who um, does community theater Mm. Like, you want to talk about a bunch of people who are having fun. They're not getting paid to be up on that stage. They, but they're fun to be around because they're creative and they have that outlet. Yeah. Um, so there is that. I mean, yeah, we all love to have more money. But, you know, I think... And you, you've never had the desire to, to say, hey, look at, I don't know, Bay Street and say hey i I can make you know custom shoes for you um you know yeah you know the problem with that is and i am going to generalize a lot of those people are kind of assholes and aren't the type of client that i want honestly like i've i sorry maybe calling all rich people assholes it's wrong but no uh in the in the world in which i work i am dealing with creative so you know while i'm super thrilled of on the micro level of my shop being surrounded by creative people in the whole film industry on a macro level it's kind of the same way i get to collaborate with some of the most brilliant minds out there and develop this these things and you know at the end of the day it's not the you know multi-million dollar celebrity wearing the shoes that i'm working for it's the designer it's the creative person it's their team and that is my client you know the idea of and also shoes you know cost a fair bit of money because there's a hell of a lot of labor that goes into them so who would i rather my final client be these creative people in a creative industry or a bunch of corporate lawyers or bankers or things like that it's like you know no no question it's like i feel like i would be wasting my creative energy on bay street or wall street or wherever and also they're not my people i'm working with my people i'm working with the creative people the designers the I almost called nice. them all a bunch of freaks, but you know what I mean. Like the people who lovingly work in the creative they realm. know that they they know they're freaks. <laughs> but you know, it, it is funny. Like you know, in high school, if you, if you wanted to have a good time, you find out you hang out with the kids in the drama club. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they just, exactly. You know, like <laughs> it's 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 not the the jocks or the intellects that are having the best parties. That's for no, sure. But it's true. Um, but. You know, and that I I can totally relate to that. So you know, as you start out in my industry, it's a fine balance. You need people who can afford you, but then you get into 
I don't know, one percenters that are that they can afford anything, and you're not you're not special to them. Mm-hmm. It's about um, and and to get their attention, mm-hmm. your marketing budget, your um, yeah. you know, you don't pull up to the appointment in a. 13 year old car (laughs) with the muffler gone and stuff like they just don't put up with that so okay i i need to look and walk and talk and i have to have the veneer of a successful person even though i'm not financially right so i have to spend all this money to have the right image so that i'm not pulling up to the appointment uh, and embarrassing them yeah. in front of their friends. Yeah, exactly. And that, that <laughs> world <laughs> is so foreign to me and is of so little interest. And also, like, <laughs> I don't look like that world where I can walk into <laughs> a film studio looking, you know, wearing an X-ray my... Specs T-shirt, having my, you know, blonde mohawk and ridiculous glasses and questionable fashion sense, and it's just accepted. It's like... I walk yep. down Bay Street looking like that, and everyone's probably calling security on me. So it's like, what world yeah, do I want like, to there's exist all, in? Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. Well, I th- think you know is that whatever you take on next. I just love talking to people who are. Um, uh, confidence is the wrong word. I'm sure there's some fantastic word. Uh, someone's screaming at the podcast right now. But, um, you know, just that your belief in yourself, I guess, is that, you know, whatever's next uh, for you is, you know, going to be interesting and probably a little chaotic. Yeah, well, most <laughs> definitely. Yeah. And it'll, yeah, chaotic but, is a good word for it. Yeah. And who knows? It's a big mystery. But, you know, I, I'm young enough still that uh i'm i'm happy to welcome a bit more chaos into my life and just see what happens and if you know if it all awesome. goes to shit there's no saying i can't start a workshop again and call it jitterbug boy and carry on where i'm at right now but i know five years from now ten years from now i might not have the energy to try something new so i'll try it if it goes tits up then nothing is preventing me from stepping back to where I am right now, uh, except maybe financially, but I would, could figure that out. So, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's a gamble, but like I say, I don't, I don't take a gamble that I don't think I'm going to win at. So I feel like it's going somewhere where I have no idea where, but I feel like it's going somewhere. Awesome. Okay. Personal question. Yes. Your shoe collection, your boot collection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> how, how many pairs? <laughs> how many pairs? How many pairs? I, I need to know. I haven't bought a pair of shoes in probably 18, 20 years. And at home right now, oh God, I must have at least a dozen. I probably only wear four of them pretty regularly. Um, and then in the shop, I probably have like another dozen pair that I just don't wear and that I just have where I was going to resold them and they just sat on a shelf or whatever. But yeah, I probably have about a dozen here. Some I keep for, uh, you know, emotional reasons. Like I still have the shoes I made for my wedding 18 years ago. Uh, haven't worn them since, but they're still kicking about. And other ones that just have certain sentimental value 
But for the most part, I also view shoes as a tool, and I wear my shoes into the ground. I beat the shit out of them, and yeah, and so I'm constantly kind of having to make more, and now that I'm finally traveling again after three years of being locked down in Toronto, uh, I'm wearing my nicer shoes, so now I'm going to have to start replacing their boots, and uh, so I'm going to have to start replacing those, so it just adds up and adds up and adds up, but yeah, I... I I got a fair few, but but hell, uh, we made them ourselves, so awesome. not many people can say always, <laughs> like even a hundred percent. Like I kind of feel like my favorite belt. I didn't even make myself. I'm kind of embarrassed. Like people would think, oh, you must have like so many things you've made, and I'm like, no, a lot of stuff means more to me. Like it was gifted to me by another maker, or um, but I. I always kind of think like I want to be one of those uh, tourists that go and do a shoemaking thing uh, and make my own pair of shoes, but be like you know where you know someone actually knows what they're doing is holding my hand the whole time. Right. Yeah. But um, but even with the closing of of Jitterbug Boy, you it's not like a one your skill and your your um you know all your abilities don't get <laughs> mothballed, but um, you'll always have uh, the tools, yeah. literally the physical tools of the trade. You, you can't just wholesale, get rid of everything and say, Hey, even if I wanted to start back up again, it would mean, um, because I imagine some of your, some of your hand tools, machines are been with you from day one yeah. and probably, were used and 50 60 years old when you got yeah 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 easily easily and yeah like i'm going to continue being a maker i'm willing to guarantee i will continue being a shoemaker because that's what i do and it's what i do yeah better than a whole lot of other people and i would be a foolish to stop doing it and also it's what i do it's in my blood it's what's got me where I'm at and I still love it. And in, if anything, I'm making this change to reconnect more with the, with the basis of that, of just being more hands-on again and just being creative and being able to concentrate on quality rather than quantity, which unfortunately in running a business, there's always a uh, quantitative element to it because you got to keep the doors open. You got to keep people working. You got to do this. You got to do that. And being able to switch gears so I can focus on the quality is what it's all about to me right now, because that's one thing I feel like. It, it, and I'm not talking about the quality edit stuff from Jitterbug Boy. My team does some of the most extraordinary issues I've ever seen in my life. But it's just about me personally reconnecting with all of that and actually spending my days just making instead of it split between making and developing and running the business and rounding up no, more work and stuff like that. I just really want to concentrate on the the art form, on the, yeah, the creative outlet of what I do, which is why I got into it to begin with. So Beautiful. And, and that is right there what i'm trying to to promote trying to 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 you know when anyone listening to this hopefully is on that journey of their looking mm. and um 
that they understand like no 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 the the this isn't entrepreneurship this is craftsmanship mm. and whether it's um in your spare room in your apartment just and no one might ever see it it's still feeding your soul and if you want to turn it into a business great but realize that you know you're everything will get divided then and diluted um so hats off to you i mean that's a generalization <laughs> some people get a, a real rush off of um um say measuring a superstar for for a pair of shoes but um then you're still back sitting in an airport lounge by yourself mm. yeah um it's not like it's some big they didn't invite you to uh their beach house to uh yeah <laughs> no exactly. exactly fly you home on their private jet yeah um well thank you so much for sharing everything um i just love this conversation and i appreciate uh you know you sharing and openness i really appreciate it. yeah no it's my pleasure it's great talking to you and i really uh i really enjoyed the conversation Hi, this is Jeff Churchill, owner and creative director of Jitterbug Boy. And thank you to Saddler's Post and Christian Lowe for the lovely conversation. Have a great day. Well, I'm a jitterbug boy by the shoe shine, resting on my laurels in my This has been the Saddler's Post with Christian Lowe. Thank you for listening. The Saddler's Post is sponsored by Christian Lowe Leather Care. Visit christianlowe.ca.